0: want to preface our guest preacher for this morning um, with this ongoing and sporadic series of sermons. We started this last fall as a little bit of an attempt to um, to dig deeper into a season that most uh, kind of low church protestants uh, i guess you would call us don 't don 't really uh, enjoy or explore the life of the saints too deeply and, and i think that's a, a real shame um, uh, the goal of these sermons in this coming season following uh, november 1st which is all saints day is to see the ways that god um wonderfully and imaginatively equips normal people in their places to lives of faith and faithfulness um to think that saints are um, just uh, these like special mythical characters that don't really exist in real time and places is a mistake. And sometimes for us, it's a cop-out. And so the hope is that in these uh, stories that we uh, catch some of the imagination for how we might grow in our faith and faithfulness in Christ, that we might reflect and refract um, who Jesus is um, in things uh, that we're already doing in the places that we already live and that we might um, come to know God uh, further through these witnesses. So today we're welcoming our guest DL Mayfield and she is a writer and I guess you would say former missionary um, and um, neighbor in Portland, Oregon and I got to know uh, Danielle a little bit through uh, a podcast conversation with her and Liz Weiss about Portland and um, some of the things she's noticed among her neighbors, some of the things she's seen at some of the uh, current and recent protests uh, in her city, and uh, ways that her faith um, uh, relates to to all of all of those things. So I'm really excited uh, for Danielle to share about someone who's. Uh, special to her. Uh, I actually, uh, Danielle, I think the first thing I read of yours was your uh, preface to the Plough Books Dorothy Day book that um, our friends over at the x 2 house have uh, free in their box over, over by East Campus at Duke. So uh, without further ado, I'll invite Shirley and Calvin to read our psalm today and then uh, hand it over to Danielle. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Nijib. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy.
1: Those who go out with weeping, bearing the seed for sowing,
0: shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves.
1: Hi, uh, so I'm Danielle Mayfield. I write as DL Mayfield, and I'm coming from Portland, Oregon. And I'm really excited to be here and to talk a little bit about Dorothy Day. Uh, I do want to say that I really wish I could come visit Durham. I think Durham is full of so many saints <laughs> right now, and um, y'all are very lucky to live there and to uh, get to rub shoulders with so many cool people. Wish I could be there in person, um, but since I'm not, I'll just talk to you through the computer screen. Not my favorite, but you know, we do, we do what we can. Um, I'm so excited to talk today about Dorothy Day it's like a dream come true when Chris asked me if I would want to chat about her. I'm sorry if this gets a little rambly, but I'm just a huge fangirl. So hopefully you guys can just join in my enthusiasm with me and we can just spend a little time talking about someone that I think, you know, if you know who Dorothy Day is, you maybe have a certain image in your mind of her. But for those who maybe are not familiar, Dorothy Day is probably one of the most well known uh u.s catholics you know in the past 100 years or so she kind of did a lot of work uh in the 30s 40s 50s and beyond with uh kind of talking about how there is a catholic plan of social action for you know the the troubles of the day and so she ended up starting this newspaper called the catholic worker she started houses of hospitality and she basically co-founded the catholic worker movement and so that's what she's sort of known for um yeah, I don't know if, if anyone has like a mental image of Dorothy. First, before we go any farther, I should say that Dorothy is also really well known for saying, um, you know, don't call me a saint because I don't want to be dismissed that easily. And I think that's a really interesting thing to say. And I think when we look at her life, it actually goes in two directions, right? So for some of her friends who were very much into communism, socialism, anarchism, they really were like disappointed by her religious conversion and religious faith. Um, And so I think she's talking about that, but she's also talking about religious folks who kind of wanted to dismiss how she was saying this is how we should actually implement our faith and this is how we should live our lives in response to the Gospels and to Jesus Christ. So I think that goes in both directions. That's what I want to talk about today. So um, if we can go to the first image, I think most people, if you know who Dorothy Day is, you kind of have this image of her as this older, radical, sort of a a woman with a rather severe face. You know, she's all about voluntary poverty. She's all about uh, getting arrested at these protests. She uh, was involved in so many sort of like socially agitating positions. Um, So there's this really famous picture of Dorothy when she's older, probably in her 70s, sitting there and she's surrounded by police officers. You can see their guns and you can see them sort of like standing threateningly in front of her. And she's just pretty placid and sort of like, I've done this before. Like, what are you going to do? Arrest me? Which they probably did. Um, so that 's an image a lot of us have of Dorothy at this point, you know several decades removed from her life and work. But today, I want to actually zero in and focus in on several conversion points that happened in her life when she was younger and she 's had she has multiple times in her life where she made sort of a radical transformation to this is what I want to do with my life, and this is what i 'm feeling called to and that has to do mostly with her trying to marry these two desires in her life. one was to be someone who was involved in the struggles of the world. She was very much drawn when she was very young. She left home when she was 17 and went to college and started working right away as a journalist for all these socialist newspapers. So this is in Chicago, you know, in the, uh, like the 19 teens. And so there's lots of social unrest going on, lots with labor unions going on. She read um, the Jungle by Upton Sinclair, right? When she was 15. And that's all about how the factories in Chicago just totally brutalized all these immigrant labors. And she was really radicalized by this stuff. And so as a journalist, she got to talk to most of like the prominent socialist, communist anarchists of the day and how they were organizing, trying to create, you know, labor unions, trying to stop the exploitation of the workers, trying to point out the evils of, you know, capitalism. So she got to interview these people, talk with them, and she became so um, enamored of their vision for a new world. And she says at that point in her life, when she was a very young woman, she fell in love with the masses and she fell in love with the people of the world who were being exploited and whose lives were just full of so much misery. And she thought there's something we can do now to actually address this. So that was kind of like what shaped her really early life. She became a radical and she really said, um, Even though she was drawn to God from a very early age, she didn't come from a very religious family. And in all these talks with all of her friends who were, you know. what what we would call very liberal, you know, they always would say, Dorothy, you're just haunted by God. You always bring up God. But she really wanted to reject religion because she saw religion as something that caused people to disengage from the troubles of the world and the troubles of the workers and actually led them to have a more complacent life. And it allowed them to just say, I don't have to be involved in all that. So she's told herself, I can't be religious because religious people do not care about the poor. Then when she was 25, uh, we can go to the next slide, she actually fell in love with somebody who was an anarchist and somebody who was really um, obsessed with nature and she kind of stopped being in the hubbub of the city and they moved to a little beach shack on Staten Island. And she spent the next few years of her life just not being so much as a radical or a journalist, but really just Uh, enjoying being in love, enjoying being in a relationship, and really enjoying creation. And she writes about this in her biography, The Long Loneliness. And I think it's so fascinating. You know, she really pinpoints this time in her life when she was so happy and not so much consumed with the troubles of the world, but just happy and in love. And her partner was so obsessed with creation She says through his love of creation, she began to fall in love with the creator. And out of this time of happiness, she really felt herself being drawn to God. And this idea that she wanted to worship something that was bigger than herself. And she wanted to worship with other people. Now, the thing that's really hard about this uh, in Dorothy's life was that forced to her, her partner was very, very anti-religious and said, you know, if you become a Catholic or if you become a part of an institutional church, like we won't be able to be together anymore, I'll leave you. And so Dorothy had to sort of struggle with that tension, but she makes it clear in her writings that um, she didn't, uh, she wasn't drawn to God out of a sense of desperation or she needed something, but actually it was through her happiness and through her joy, she was drawn to God. And then during this period, uh, she ended up getting pregnant. She gave birth to a daughter. And when she gave birth to her daughter, she just thought, I have to baptize my daughter into the Catholic Church. Now, Dorothy didn't know a ton of Catholics, but she just thought, like, if I'm going to worship people together, like, let's just go all the way. Let's do the one big institution, which was the Catholic Church. So she baptized her daughter Tamar into the church, even though she knew that was kind of starting the the road to her leaving her, her partner and then after a few years, she herself ended up getting baptized, and it's true. She ended up losing her relationship with Forster, and she kind of, as soon as she was baptized in the church, she knew she was embarking on her life as a single mother from that point on, but she says she was filled with joy. She loved being a Catholic, and then after that, she sort of had about five, period, five years in her life where she really decided to study Catholicism. She moved around to a few places like California, Mexico, taking care of her daughter, and just sort of... Um, read as much as she could about the church. She went to mass every day. She started taking communion every day and really just going deep into the spiritual roots. And again, it was mostly connected to her, to this desire for joy and wanting to worship God. There was, a, there was some of that piety stuff too. She also wanted to be really good. That was also another common thread in her life. So what happened about five years after she'd been a Catholic is she was freelance writing to kind of make ends meet for her and her daughter. And there was a Catholic magazine called Commonweal, and they asked her to go report on a hunger march that was going on from New York City to Washington, D.C. And at this point, she had moved to New York City, was living with her daughter and her brother and his wife. So she ends up going um, to report on this hunger march. And if you can go to the next slide, there's a picture of that. So it was a bunch of um, men who were trying to form unions, and they were Uh, marching from, you know, New York City all the way to DC to just demand relief from the federal government. So this is a few years into the Great Depression. Um, You know, there were so many people experiencing homelessness. There wasn't enough work for people. Um, New York City at that time, there was just thousands and thousands of men just wandering the streets, trying to find jobs. Like the lines for the bread, the free bread lines were so long. And Dorothy, you could see those every day. But she'd been a little removed from that, just trying to make ends meet. So when she went and she followed these uh, workers as they marched from New York to DC, she saw what happened to them. She saw the ways they were treated. She saw how they were brutalized by the police, the police tear gassed them, um, all this stuff. And then when they got to DC, she also saw how the other journalists really painted um, these men as horrible people, as communists who were there to take over the world, how this is gonna be the end of America when these men were just basically asking for relief for women and children and uh, to stop evictions at this time of crisis and to just ask for more fundamental rights. So This is before welfare, any of that, right? They're just asking the federal government, we need help. Um, And Dorothy was so appalled at how they were treated by the police and by the press. But what happened is as she watched these men, she really started to have this sense of, where are all the Catholics? Where's the Catholic leadership? Where are they? Why is everybody staying out of this? And there's lots of Catholics in the men who are marching, but nobody involved in the leadership of these events. And as she watched them march, and as she saw how they were treated, she just thought to herself, if Jesus was here, Jesus would love these men. Jesus would probably be marching with this these men. In fact, these men really look like Jesus in the Gospels to me, because in the Gospels, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, right? And was just sort of like, asking people to help. And so she said, this, these men actually reflect Jesus more than other people I know. And she sort of had this sense of what have I been doing the past five years of my life, you know, becoming a really good Catholic and sort of not being involved in the struggles of the world. And she just felt so overwhelmed and just so at odds. Like, how can I have these two desires of my life coincide? So right after that march, she actually went to the national shrine in Washington, DC and prayed. In the church and ask god to please help direct her how can she marry these two desires of her life to be with the poor to work for the poor and to be a good catholic right after she prayed that she went to her, back to her apartment in new york city and who was waiting for her in her apartment but a guy named peter morin so uh if we look at the next picture peter morin was this really interesting guy he was 55 years old when he showed up at dorothy day's apartment and he was a french peasant who grew up very poor and very obsessed with Catholicism, and he ended up sort of living an itinerant life. He lived in Canada for a while, but he'd spent many of the past few years living in New York City, living in some of the hostels, you know, sort of living life as somebody who didn't have a home because he didn't. He basically only had the clothes on his back. All his pockets were stuffed full of these little uh, poems that he had written about the evils of capitalism and a new way to envision the world that was founded in this Catholic understanding of human dignity and the common good. And he had read one of Dorothy's articles and he just decided to show up at her apartment. Now she sort of thought he was just another person who was possibly not mentally well and was just looking for work or something, but he ended up staying and just talking her ear off for days and days and days about the catholic church he said you know you have this great upbringing in how to be a radical but you don't really have any knowledge of the catholic church and what the catholic church has to say about the evils of our society and so he just talked to her about that for days and days and she ended up seeing him as a sort of gift from god as god's answer to her prayer and and peter Morin truly was a sort of saint francis of assisi type and that's one thing in dorothy day's story as people want to sort of idolize her and talk about her being a saint. She was always quick to try and point out all the saints that she was in community with. And so she would love to talk about Peter Moore and he never became famous. His poems are pretty hard to understand. He could just talk for like 12 hours at a time and you might not even understand what he was saying, but she liked to point out that he truly was a saint and he lived like Jesus lived. Um, and so After talking to Peter for a few weeks, um, Peter sort of had this threefold idea to revolutionize the world, again, based in the Catholic way of looking at the world and it had a threefold approach. One was to have these round table discussions where people could talk about the issues of the day and issues of Catholic thought. Another was to have these houses of hospitality where you would invite anybody to come in and you would give them a place to sleep. You would give them food, clothes, no matter you know whatever they needed, you would do that. And then the third element was a sort of back to the farm movement where people could work the land and live off the land um, like how God originally intended it to be. So for him, he, was, he really thought Dorothy could help with that first part with these roundtable discussions and he said instead of just you know making it people coming together and talking let's actually start a newspaper and let's put out our ideas um, about the world into a newspaper and let's send it out and dorothy was like okay let's do it i mean her years in journalism had sort of prepared her for that she had prayed and asked god how to how to you know sort of synthesize these desires in her heart so they decided to create what she called um A Paper of Faith for the Unemployed. So this is in 1933. Again, the Great Depression had been going on for a few years. Um, The first issue of the paper, they called it The Catholic Worker because there was a really sort of well-known communist daily paper at that time called The Daily Worker. And Dorothy, you know, loved a lot of stuff about communism, except for their anti-religious bias. Um, And so she wanted to call her paper The Catholic Worker. Now, Peter wanted it to just be his essays and his thoughts, but Dorothy um, said no. And it ended up being eight pages. And besides a few essays by Peter Moran, Dorothy Day wrote every element of these eight pages. And she actually financed it herself. She didn't pay her rent. And they printed you know, 2,500 copies. And this first issue was really interesting. I put up a picture of it on the screen. But um, again, this is 1933. And I think it's really interesting for us in 2020 to sort of look at these issues that Dorothy Day was talking about. Again, she wanted this to be like, there are no religious people at the forefront talking about these issues, and we should be. So that's where she's coming from. And so in this first issue, there's a lot about um, actually the plight of um, Black Americans and how, again, this is Jim Crow law, right? And so she talks about how the U.S. War Department was exploiting um, Black laborers and how they were underpaying them, charging them for water, all this stuff. She talks about child labor. She talks about women's labor, all these different issues. Um, And if we can go to the next slide, I think that for me, I just thought, One thing that's really fascinating is how little the U.S. has changed, right, in all these years um, since this first paper came out. I was really struck by one of the columns um, starts off with saying the problem is not what to do with the black man so much as it is what to do with the white man. And this is, you know, pre-James Baldwin, and she's quoting these Jesuit priests who are trying to say that there's a reason why the people of the world are disappointed with the Catholic church. We've been silent, you know, we are the problem. And I also love that Dorothy, she wanted to reach multiple audiences, but she really truly wanted to reach those who are most oppressed in her city of New York city. And so she actually sort of said this, paper is addressed to you, you know, to people who are sitting on park benches, you know, those people who are huddling in shelters trying to escape the rain. Like maybe you think you've been forgotten, but you haven't been forgotten. And we want you to know that there are people, you know, who are working not only for your spiritual welfare but your actual material welfare. And then one little thing I just thought was hilarious is she also dedicated the first issue to the police department of New York City. <laughs> Um, because she said y'all are such good Catholics. I'm sure you're going to want to read this paper. Um, and it's just kind of amazing. So Dorothy Day, um, ended up, you know, putting this paper out into the world. And I like to think about these squares in New York city at this time where there are so many people giving out papers, people standing on soap boxes, all these men would gather and like talk about ideas and there'd be shouting and all this stuff. And Dorothy's like the Catholics need to be out there. We need to be in the center of that square. We need to be out there saying, God loves you. And God is not happy with the way the world is. God is not okay with the way you're being treated because so many religious people, especially the ones in power, just said, keep praying, you know, keep praying and your life will get better someday, or at least it'll be good when you die. Dorothy's like, no, <laughs> that's not what we're here to say. And that's not what we're going to do. And it actually ended up, uh, you know, a striking a chord with people. And within a few uh, months, you know, they had 10 times the amount of people they were printing this paper for. And by 1935, there was actually 150,000 copies of each issue in circulation, which to me is just kind of incredible. And so when I think about Dorothy Day, you know, I do like to think of her as this older activist who, you know, even up to the very last days of her life, was just a strong Catholic and really committed to the plight of the poor, but I also like to think about when she was younger and these different conversion points she had. And I wonder if, if some of us are also struggling sometimes, like how can we reconcile our deep faith with also our desire to be involved in what's going on in the world? And for me, I, I have also had that same experience as Dorothy of saying, you know, where are the Christians at the forefront of some of these movements that we're experiencing in the United States right now? I'm, you know, I'm not a Catholic, but I come from a background of white evangelicalism. And, um, you know, it's been shocking amounts of silence when it comes to some of these issues we're facing right now, including, you know, Black Lives Matter protests and, um, you know, COVID-19 and all the suffering that that has brought us. It's It's been really disheartening for me to just see the silence. And so I'm really inspired by Dorothy just saying, you know what? It's time for us to say no. We're not going to be quiet, and we're not going to we're not going to uh, tone down either our religion or our desire for a better better social order. And actually, that's one thing I really love about Peter Moore. And he just kept saying, and he loved to actually borrow the slogans of all these union workers and all these different, you know, communist organizations, and, and kind of use them for also Catholic thought. And he loved to say, you know, what we want to do is we want to build a new society in the shadow of the old, right? And so what we're going to do is just like little step by little step, we're going to create a better world. And going back to that original hunger march that really changed Dorothy. You know, those men were asking for things that they never got to see in their own lives. And yet Dorothy, when she wrote The Long Loneliness in, in the 50s and 60s, she said, you know what? Some of those things those men were asking for ended up coming true, right? We ended up creating a welfare program. We ended up, you know, doing a few things to help the plight of the poor. And of course, things are not perfect, but she she wishes those men could have seen, you know, the changes that were, that were coming through the lifetime. So I think, for me, living in Portland in the United States in 2020, it's been a really hard year. And so looking at the life of Dorothy Day and seeing how um, we can be people who are proud to be Christians, but we, we can't be afraid to say we need to be speaking up and we actually have this amazing historic tradition that goes all the way back to Jesus Christ that is asking us to be actively involved in the welfare of the most oppressed and most marginalized, and that's where we should be. So if we go to um, the last slide, the thing that Dorothy was really um, interested in, and and some of the things I wanna keep exploring as somebody who is a Protestant is these uh, works of mercy. And so she really went back over these over and over again in her life. But, you know, just going back to these very simple ways to be engaged in alleviating suffering, which is feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned, and burying the dead. And going back to some of these historic, you know, Christian traditions, I think would serve us so much better than, you know, being obsessed with these culture wars and obsessed with gaining political power. Like this is where we need to be right now is looking at the works of mercy. And Dorothy, you know, she she often thought, like, maybe I (laughs) maybe I shouldn't have done all that stuff and and been quite so loud. And and here's a quote I wanna I wanna say from the long loneliness. She says, to have undertaken a life of silence, manual labor and prayer might have been the better way, but I do not know. God gives us our temperaments, and in spite of my pacifism, it is natural for me to stand my ground, to continue in what actually amounts to a class war, (laughs) using such weapons as the works of mercy for immediate means to show our love. And to alleviate the suffering. And for me, this encapsulates a lot of who Dorothy was. You know, at one hand, she's like, Yeah, maybe I should have just been a nun and been quiet and lived a simple life of trying to serve God. And then she's like, But you know what? I'm actually really intense. <laughs> and even though she was a pacifist, here she's saying, like, yes, I am all in on the class of war, which that's sort of the language that was of the time, you know, when there was a lot of talk about um, socialism and communism. But what she's saying is there really is a group of people who have resources and they're exploiting the poor and this is in our society and we as christians need to be engaged in that struggle and say no that's not okay and what she calls her weapons are these works of mercy and i just think what a fascinating way to go through life that these are actually our weapons against the systems of oppression and evil that are hurting people all around us right now and so that's something i want to think about as we go forward and You know, even though Dorothy Day would be so annoyed that I'm talking about her on a Sunday morning, you know, for a a service about saints, um, you know, and as much as she hated when people would call her a saint, uh, you know, one thing she did is she was really into saying, you know, why not try and live like a saint? Why not? What's the harm in trying to live like that? And as you do that, you'll probably start to notice around you that in the people who are the most poor and the most oppressed and the most marginalized, you will start to see saints in those people. And I've just thought about that a lot as I've been involved in several Black Lives Matter protests and as I listen to people telling their stories of how they've experienced oppression in our justice system and at the hands of our police, just saying, wow, these are the people we need to be listening to right now. And if we have eyes to see, they're the saints that can lead us um, to follow Jesus. So thank you all for listening to me talk about Dorothy Day. <laughs> uh, should I pray now, Chris? Yeah. End up Thanks. okay God, we just thank you so much for the life of people like Dorothy Day of Peter Morin and of the countless men, women, and children who inspired both of them to seek after the face of Christ wherever they went. God, I pray you would give us the eyes to see Jesus when we look at news headlines when we look at people who are weeping, when we look at people who are begging for change, I pray that we would see your face and that we would sit in the tension and discomfort of knowing the world is not okay and that you're not okay with that. I pray that you would help us to sit in that tension and before rushing to fix it, that we would be able to sit there and see your face and just gaze upon it. In your name we pray, amen.